We started a dialogue before I got ill about uh, the concept of emptiness or non-self. And so I'd like to pick that thread up and continue with it because I think it's a very important part of the teaching and the understanding and, and the drafting into a good citizen for the world. So, the first thing to understand is that this idea of a individuated self has created a lot of moral pollution in the world, from war to colonization to to slavery to segregation, apartheid, all, all of the things that we're not very proud of have been justified by a sense of self. And so it's very difficult because we've been indoctrinated all of our lives with this delusion, this, this false reality of an individual self that exists independent of all others. Because first of all, it's so apparent in the illusion that when we look out of our eyes, we see others that, that appear to be separate from ourselves. And we begin to identify them by their skin color or their country of origin or their sorority or fraternity or their preferences that, that might seem to be like mine. But the point is, when I look out and see you, I'm also establishing a me. And this produces all of the ills, the social ills that I just uh, indicated at the beginning of the talk. But again, I acknowledge that it's very difficult to intellectualize that this is so, that there is no individual self, and we have to be able to see it. We have to be able to develop the insight to actually see it. And so there are practices that allow us to construct a way of insight that is not necessarily deep insight, but still starts to give us the opportunity to, the opportunity to um, entertain that this is a truth. That, that even though I think that I'm a me and I've thought it was this way all my life, and I've acted out accordingly, there's a possibility. It, it opens up the possibility that there is another way and another form of existential relationship. And so, I'd like to start out with a sutta from the uh, Samyutta Nikaya. That's certainly one of my favorite ones. The sutta, the teaching is entitled, Not Yours. And it begins with Atsavati, Disciples, whatever is not yours, abandon it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness. And what is it, disciples, that is not yours? Form is not yours, abandon it. When you have abandoned it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Feeling is not yours, and when you abandon it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Perception is not yours, and when you abandon it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Volitional formations are not yours, and when you abandon it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Concentration is not yours, and when you abandon it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Suppose, disciples, people were to carry off the grass and sticks and branches and foliage in this Jetta's grove, or to burn them or to do with them what they wish, would you think 
People are carrying me off or us off or burning us or doing with us what they wish. No, venerable sir, for what reason? Because, venerable sir, that is neither ourself nor what belongs to ourself. So two, so two disciples, form is not yours, feeling is not yours, perception is not yours, volitional formations are not yours, and consciousness is not yours. Abandon it, and when you have abandoned it, it will lead to your welfare and happiness. Now the reason I like this sutta is because it, it informs us that in letting go of the belief that we are the five aggregates, that we are somehow beholden and a part of the five aggregates, that there is something that is still left. In other words, you will be happy and content in, in, in your welfare for a long time. So it means that there is a you that is that will survive the abandoning of the five aggregates. And so it allows you to enter the practice without the fear that if I let go of these five aggregates, there will be nothing left of me. So, do you see that message in that sutta? I mean, you might not believe it, but do you see the message in the sutta? Okay. So again, the aggregates of... Now, why... You say, well, why do I need necessarily to abandon these five aggregates? They're not doing anything. They're serving me well. They're serving a purpose for me. They're, they're giving me identity. They're allowing me to develop a feeling tone. They are giving me memory, they are giving me awareness, they are giving me thinking ability. What's wrong with them? Why do I need to abandon them and let them go? Well, the thing that's wrong with them is that they're the condition that produce all of the suffering for us. That's why we need to let them go. They are the things that loop and tie the practice and the development of the practice in the Four Noble Truths. So the first Noble Truth is that there is suffering and suffering should be understood. And that means that I should understand where my suffering originates from. And normally because we live in this world where we believe that there is a solidified me that exists and also because I look out of my head and I see all of you, then I think that there's a separate being that exists outside of myself that is the other. That normally until we begin to understand something about relationship, we believe that you are the cause of my problems. That when I'm unhappy and when I'm frustrated and when I'm angry and when I'm anything that is uncomfortable and, and dis-ease, that someone out here is to blame for that. And I, I look for that someone to point my finger to and tell them to get their stuff right so that I can feel happy, so that I can feel better. So the reason to begin to abandon them is the fact that they are the things that cause our suffering. Why do they cause our suffering? Because of clinging. It still ties into the truths of the Four Nobles. That clinging is the cause of suffering. Not the experience, but the clinging to some idea or illusion that is the reason that I suffer in this moment. And if I can abandon my belief that my form or my feeling or my thinking or my volition or my consciousness is and when I begin to understand and divorce that from the true identity of, of who I am, then I no longer blame these things or are influenced by 
or well, influence is good enough, influenced by the, the formations, then I won't carry the suggestion forward that I should be unhappy in this moment. Because remember, everything that comes from, from mind and from memory is only a suggestion. It's not real. It's just an idea that this aggregate is producing that says you should feel this way about this experience or this person or this idea or this thing. Right? Okay. So we begin to talk about voidness or emptiness. And it's something that has to be taken on levels or or graduated understandings. And so when we, as we take form for an example, body for an example, and we think that because we are in this body, that this is a part of me. But we begin to study, if we're interested, if we believe a connection, we begin to study that this form is not the ultimate reality that I think it is. So, I look at it initially as this this tube of skin with things on the inside that I think is me because they exist and I feel that I'm on the inside of this thing that I call a body. So I say that it's, it is me, it is myself. It, and everything around me that I feel belongs to me then is mine. And everything that I look out there and say is separate from me is the other. But when I really investigate this body that I say I have, this solid membrane that I say I have, I begin to see that there's something different than what I thought it was. That it is not the construct and it is not the truth that I've assigned to it. And so I, I look at it in the mirror or I look at you and identify you as me, so I say, well, we're the same. But I be- can begin to think through practice that if I close my eyes and if I'm able to see on the inside, see the inside of my form, then I will know that the inside is different from the outside. It's different from what I've identified with. I think it's this. But when I close my eyes and look on the inside, I see bone and blood and visceral feces, mucus, pus. I see things that I couldn't see looking in without insight. But when I close my eyes and look on the inside, I can see that. And I can see that also then what I use to identify myself as self, I can't find on the inside of my being. So in the teachings, they, they give examples, for instance, like the butcher who has a cow. And so it is identified as a cow and everyone knows what the cow is. But when the butcher slaughters this cow, he no longer calls it a cow. There's loin and there's chops and there's ribs and there's tongue and there's brain, but there's no cow. So they use this example to show us that this form that we identify, objectify as cow, does not really exist. Another example would be, well, they use the example of a chariot, but we can use the example of an automobile. So we have this concept that we call an automobile. 
But that's all that identifies it as a concept. It's not real. An automobile is not real. If we took, and if we can take the automobile apart, dismantle it, we have lots of other parts, but we don't have an automobile. We can't find the automobile in that heap of form that we first identified as an automobile. And so the same idea is that when we dismantle or disconnect all of the parts of the body, the anatomical parts of the body, we cannot find the self that we identify as, uh, that we identify with. Do you understand? Yes? Do you understand? Okay. And they have practices, there are meditations that help us develop our insight to be able to see the inside and its difference and its fact that without having to cut apart or perform an autopsy on our own form, which would kill us, we begin to be able to see that the idea of a person does not exist within this bag of skin. And so we then say, well, okay, is that as, is that as deep as I can go? That is bone and tissue and blood and sinew and mucus and so forth. Is that as deep as I can go? Well, no, I can go deeper. So that's when I began to study and look deeper to find the elements, the elemental structure of this form, which is air, fire, water, and earth. And I began to understand that this is a connection of form with everything else in reality. So that when I hear people say, well, we're like stardust and we're like the mountains and we're like the forest, and I can see where they got this idea and I can see the truth of this concept. And again, I can see the fact that I am a part of everything and I'm not an individual. I'm not separate from everything else. So then this allows for me to have a deeper respect for life and for the other. And so just as in my history as believing that this is a person separate and individual from the other people that has allowed me to coexist with one group but war against another group or fight another group, when I see my commonness with all other things, the fact that we all on an elemental level are structured the same. We have the same components. That means that you and I, the tree, the building, the earth, the mountains, fire, the ocean, are all the same. Then I begin to have a greater respect for those things too because I don't see them as separate from me. Now this is a stretch for those of you who are just saying for the first time, well, yeah, I kind of see this intellectually. I don't quite see it yet in my conventional wisdom, but I, I can see a connection. Well, this is a part of what we need to get to first. And until we actually experience the true reality, actually, with insight, see it as I've explained it, my suggestion is that you make sure that every day you work with loving-kindness meditation because that meditation will narrow the gap between you and the other, will cause you to love them as you love yourself, love them as you love your family, love them as you love those who are close to you, which narrows the gap between self and other, which narrows the opportunity for me to decide that you are less than me and that I have a right to build a wall. I have a right 
to war against you. I have a right to do preemptive striking. I have a right to lynch you because you are different and you are a threat. I don't like your preferences. I don't like your, the way you look. I don't like the color of your skin. So I will do what I can to eliminate you, to, to push you aside, to put you in your place, to tell you what you can and cannot do. The practice of loving kindness will help narrow that gap between you and your perceived enemies so that you will treat them with the same kindness and the same love that you treat your <coughs> friends, your family, bless you, and everyone else that you feel kindred towards. And before we know it, we'll have a united world if we're not careful. And everybody will respect everyone else. And this is the whole idea of unity, oneness, community. Any questions? There are, there are 22 categories that can be used to extend one's loving kindness. 22 categories. You can work with all beings, all breathing things, all creatures, all people, all individuals, all women, all men, all enlightened beings, all unenlightened beings, all devas, all human beings, all beings in the lower realm. And we, you know, we forget when we are doing love and kindness, I think that some of us forget those that are in the lower realm. Some of those forget those who are in prison. Some of, some of, those, some of us forget those who are in hospitals and are sick. So it, it, it allows us to broaden our category, broaden our vision of who should and who do I want to send my love and kindness to. Directionally to the east, the west, the north, the south, the southeast, northeast, northwest, north, southwest, above and below. Again, trying to structure your own meditation to cover everyone that you can think of to radiate your love and kindness to everyone that you can think of. So, what makes the process so potent? Well, there have been studies <coughs> that uh, pertain to water. And as we know, water is the predominant element on the planet. Water is the predominant element in the body. And so what I do or don't do to create a healthy environment for myself internally and the world externally or internally is an oversight on my part. What the studies have shown is that taking water and just putting it in a container and taping on the container the word love creates a beautiful crystallization of the construct of the water at a molecular level. In another container, in the same room, from the same source, saying, you fool, creates a distorted and dark construct of crystallization in that same thing. So when we understand the science of that, when we understand the universal science of that, 
First of all, just by saying to ourselves, I am filled with love and kindness, begins to restructure the molecular level of the, the predominant element in my own form from unhealthy, from unstructured, to beautiful. And when I promote this outwardly, it does the same thing with my environment. It creates a healthier neighborhood for me to exist in. Yeah? So until we actually see that we are not an individual self, that we do not exist as an individual self. Now the thing I love about this sutta is that it doesn't tell us who we are, it just tells us what we're not. And the idea is as we let go of the falseness of our identity, the trueness of our identity will be revealed to us because it'll be like pull, peeling everything else away and going, whoa, look at this, this is what's left. This is really me, you know. But then when we see this thing that is really me, we see that I also exist in you. And therefore, it regoverns, it redetermines the way that I treat you, the way that I relate to you, you see. And this is very beneficial for the world, in my opinion. So it starts with us as a community. It starts with us with an understanding that perhaps is a little deeper, a little wider, than most people want to go or are afraid to go. But it, as we've seen from the youngsters in the high school in Florida where there was a mass shooting a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, that it only takes a few, it doesn't take the whole world to begin to help the whole world to have some sense, some common sense. doesn't take everybody. It just takes a few who understand the purpose of their being here and the power and the connection and the community that they have with everything else. That's all it takes. A room full. That's where you get started. And as they, as they again, as the youngsters showed yesterday or day before yesterday, that is infectious, that common sense, that wisdom, where students all, junior, I mean high school students, junior high school students all over the country walked out in solidarity, not in protest, but in solidarity. To say that we're with you, we understand, we want this to change, we want people to treat people better. And you don't do that by arming yourself with munitions and explosives and tools, I'll use an NRA word, that are designed to kill. They always tell us that it's not a weapon, it's a tool. But it's a tool to kill. I can't perform brain surgery with an AR-15. You know, they, they, they use the example of the knife, and they say, well, do you know the knife can be used for surgery or it can be used for assaulting you? Well, that's true. But an AR-15 can only be used to assault you. You can't use it for a doorstop. You can't use it for, for a tool for brain surgery or, or just to get a splinter out of somebody's hand. It's designed for one purpose, and that's to wound with... with Extreme prejudice. You know, it's designed to tear the body apart. Anyway, think about those things. So, what I'd like us first to do, 
Oh, again, I'll go around and say, are there any questions? Okay. Then what I'd like us first to do is to do a meditation on loving kindness. In which of those, cat- in, in any one of those categories that you'd like, they're all authentic and they're all influential. So whatever category you want to use, whether it's direction or per- specifically people or all sentient beings, it's up to you. It's your call. But we'll do that first, and then we'll do something more specific to begin to develop the insight to get, give us to be able to see our original nature as it really is. All right, I'd like to introduce a meditation. Contemplation on thought that begins to reveal to those who haven't developed the insight yet the nature of emptiness or voidness. And probably one of the biggest things that deters us from seeing the truth is our belief that there is a subject that is always present in the subjective reality. So in other words, every time I open my eyes and look out, I see an object and I think there's, a, there's an eye that's present that's observing that object. This meditation is designed to begin to erase the illusion of that subject, I. If you look in a lot of the more advanced books on meditation and ultimate truth, they advance the idea that there is seeing but there's not a seer, that there's hearing, but not a hear, and on and on and on. All of the things that, again, reinforce our concept that there is a self and I and individual that's present that's witnessing the events in objective reality. So, the exercise goes something like this, that you start out with mindfulness of breathing, and you just watch your breath as an object until the mind settles down. And then once the mind settles down, and what I'll do is I'll signal with a, a ding on the, the jar when you take your attention off your breath and just sit and wait for the first thought to come to mind. When it does, all you're doing is observing the coming, the arising, and the cessation of that thought. That's all you're doing. You're not getting involved with it because it's not... What you're doing is you're beginning to create the realization that there's no I to get involved with. Okay. So you just watch the thought arise, watch it succeed, go back to the breath for a while, and then again, defocus on the breath as, as an object, wait for the first thought to come, watch it arise, watch it depart. If you are successful at doing that, then add another breath, I mean add another thought. So you watch one thought come and go, and you watch another thought come and go. You observe the thought coming and going. 
And we will, in the last minute or so that we have together, we'll discuss what that develops, what that develops as an opportunity for awareness. For those who were able to get to the second phase of the meditation instruction, and that is to lift their attention from the breath and observe the thought as it comes and goes, what did you notice? What, what, were, what were you informed about? Okay, what, what did that inform you of? I didn't make it happen. You didn't make it happen? You couldn't make it happen? That's okay. Okay, so what does that tell us? So that, that told you that not necessarily that there was no me because there was a witness or an observer there. But what it told, well, okay. Anyone else want to? Yes. For me, it was, I wasn't happy. Well, I guess I was having a thought because I kept on saying, I'm not thinking, I'm just breathing. <laughs> and then I was saying, I must be really clogged <laughs> because I can't get the thought out. And then eventually it, ca- it, it came out and then it went back and then I said, okay, so I'm just going to look at it. And I looked at it and then I went back to my breath again. And then another one came. And I saw it and it was floating and just dispersed. So that's what it was like. Okay. And again, the question is, what, what do we learn from that? What, 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 is a, what is apparent or obvious in that experience? Um, I don't know. Okay. One of the things that we want to begin to develop is, is the ability to benefit from our experiences. You know, we go through life, things come and go, and we say, well, I don't know. They come and go again. Well, I don't know. They come and go. You know, and, and our, our famous statement is, why does this always happen to me? But it's happening to you so that you'll know why it's happening to you, so that you'll be able to change it. So getting back to what we, what we could have discovered or what we did discover was that there was no thinker. You see the, the famous quotation, I think, therefore I am. And because we think, that's one of the reasons that validates this inappropriate truth that says I am existing, I exist. But if there is the awareness that there is thought, but there is no thinker, then out of that grows our capacity to also see that I hear things, but there's no hearer. There's just sound. So, Venerable, I see that in this exercise. Mm-hmm. That is, I, I, I saw the thought arise, and I can, and I can see that there wasn't a thinker, because again, I, I didn't make it happen. It right. Just, it just right. happened and it went away, so there was no thinker. But the um, the situation where I um, struggled to understand is how about if I say I'm going to sit down and think about something, and so there's a there's a conscious effort to sit down and think, and then you think about yeah. something in a deliberate fashion. Yeah. Then the absence of a thinker. Is is less apparent uh, right. to me. Yeah, that's true. So we can always look for and find exemptions or exclusions to the rule, mm-hmm. but that doesn't negate the fact that I had a ha- I've had an experience where there was no thinker. I've had an experience where there was no hearer, there was just hearing. I've had an experience where there's no seer, there's just seeing, you know, where there's no eye seeing. And as we 
collect those experiences as minuscule as they might be, as, as brief as they might be, they begin to support and identify a reality that we were not aware of before. And it's like everything else in our existence, in our lives, that when we finally see it, we see it everywhere. You know, it doesn't, it's not that little tiny blip thing that came on the screen for a moment. But once we finally see it, we begin to see, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. Oh, okay. And that's what we're getting to by working with it this way. Because until we work with it this way and get a peek, we don't even believe it's a possibility. We believe that there needs to be a subject with the object. I started off as the breath is concentration and then heard the ding. And I had a thought, am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. And... At that point, I just went back to my concentration and didn't go any further with that uh, thought. And when I went back to the breath, it, it seemed to relax. There was a, a flowing ease with my breath mm-hmm. and trying to, I feel like maybe I'm expecting something to happen. Uh, almost like a, by watching the breath, something should be happening other than the the, the sense of just watching the breath. So um, I guess it maybe scared or or a certain nervousness that happens when it when I go past watching the breath, or sensing the breath at the belly, as it will go up to the heart, to the throat, to the place where more concepts might be of benefit to myself. Um, I think trying to get a sense of um, having a result from that thought or having some sort of something happen once it goes up. I gave you two things to do, and you got real busy with them. You got real busy, and I'm just saying, well, back off of the busyness, and just go back to doing the two things. Put your, put your attention on your breath, and you've been doing that for a while, so you know what that feels like and what that produces, a calmness, a stillness, a steadiness. Whereas Deja discovered, when, when I do, when I, use as a preliminary breathing as an object of my meditation, I slow my thinking down. So there becomes gaps or spaces between thought. And when I am waiting for thought, when I am looking for thought, I see that, that becomes obvious to me, that it's not this prolific proliferation of of, of mind-speak that's usually there, that there's this, these spaces of nothingness or quietness or stillness that I produce by just simply watching the breath for a while. Yeah? And, and so I, I began to re-landscape the mindscape. Because this is why we're doing this. We're doing this to understand how mind works. So we stop getting angry and we stop getting fearful, and we stop getting judgmental. You see, we, we're learning how it works so that we can stop the foolishness, as opposed to accepting, you know, modern psychology and therapy is all about accepting what we find in the mind and, and, and working with it. What we're saying is that, well, no, if you understand how the mind works, you don't have to manufacture emotions. You can live your life without emotions if you understand how emotions come about. If you understand why it is that you get angry. It's not because somebody did this or somebody said this. I get angry because of these reasons. 
And when I learn to do that, I learn to avoid the suggestions of mine that tell me this is a good idea, like the kid who went down and shot up the, the, the uh, high school. He had a thought. He said, it's a, it's a, it would be a good idea if I do this. Whether the good idea was to get even, to show them, to make a name for myself, whatever the idea was, it was, nobody gets up off of their chair and says, That's, this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. Very few people will say that. Most often, we are motivated by thinking that what we're thinking is a good idea. And then we act on that volition. So we have to understand how this works. This thing that keeps putting us in spaces that we don't want to be in. That keeps making me act like I don't want to act. That keeps making me speak like I don't want to speak. We've got to understand it so we can make it a tool instead of being a slave to it. That's what this is all about. Any questions? Oh, I'm sorry. Um. My granddaughter is five and a half years old, mm -hmm. and she is so friendly. She says hello to everyone. Mm -hmm. And at some point, which is coming up like now, we have to explain to her that you can't say hello to everybody because of what the world is. Now, you don't want to teach her that, but yet she has to learn that. So how do you do that in a way where you're feeding her, you know, not fear, something, just something that's in this world. I don't know. When I tell my child to be afraid of the things that I'm afraid of, then I'm teaching them fear. So I've got to teach them, and I agree with you, it's about teaching them to be careful. Right. You know, it's, it's not to say, well, every snake you see, just pick it up and look at it and see what the coloration is. And, right. and if it bites you, then it's poisonous. You don't do that. But you find a wiser way to express the reality. Because the reality is true. You can't, you can't just go up and hug and embrace everybody on the street. But you can start to teach discernment. But not fear. Fear is when you say, no, don't do that. You know, this is an ugly world out here. This is a mean and vicious world out here. And that is true in the minds of the people who believe that it's mean and vicious. See, because again, this is about understanding the truth and the suggestions of the mind. So, do what you're doing. Ask questions of people that you respect. Think about it. But, you know, also construct your plan in a way that you have a strategy. You know, like, well, I don't want to scare her away from the world. I want her to contain and continue to be this embracing, loving, sentient being that she is. But I'll just tell her some things about how to navigate this world. Okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. That was a good question. Got another question? On the second dawn, the first time I saw light and just let it go because it, it, it wasn't unexpected. The second time I saw dark gray, mm -hmm. which was unexpected, mm -hmm. and I didn't just let it go right away. Because you started examining yeah, it, and you yeah. got involved with it, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a part of the, a part of the process is as I said to John, don't get involved with things that are not a part of the exercise. You know, that's, that's distraction. That's distraction. So, follow the directions. <laughs> well, again, it, it's, been a, it's been a joy being with you today. Uh, I always hope that there are more questions because that means that people were listening. But then maybe it's because you guys already know, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. 
So again, continue to uh, develop your association and your friendship with the mind so that you will understand it and understand what your relationship is to it so that you will not be governed by it, but you will be informed by it. And yes. When you encouraged us, Venerable, to do the um, the self-loving, loving-kindness yeah, loving kindness meditation. Well, how exactly did you put that? I don't remember now. Could you think of something right now? Uh, you mean, well, what do you mean by how did I put well, that? You mean like, the instruction or? Yeah, when you what, were reading, you said it's it's good to do some loving kindness towards oneself. And then I found myself sort of playing with the words, should I say, um, I cultivate loving kindness towards myself or generate loving oh, kindness towards myself because okay. I found if I use I and my, myself to some degree maybe I'm getting too much up here it could have the opposite effect of more solidifying myself okay. you see what I'm saying? yes I do so I thought maybe there was just a very simple way to say it well the first thing is uh, and I agree with I I appreciate your thoughtfulness in wondering whether this would be something that would negate the whole idea that I'm developing about non-self by talk, speaking of an I. But this is a different kind of construct. So we, we have all these things that we're doing to deconstruct the concept of I. But then there are some that we want to develop the construct of I. Because until we deconstruct totally the concept of self, then I want to develop the idea of I getting closer to the thing that I think is different than I. It's separate from I. So that 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 is a whole interim exercise that allows me to love you even though you're different than me, even though you're a woman and I'm a man. It allows me to love you and appreciate you as you are. Okay? So good question though. Good 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 observation. Thank you. All right. Let's go home. <laughs>